Hello, I'm Kerry Lunigan. Welcome to The Weekly Grill, brought to you by Beef Central and Alanco Animal Health. Now, our guest today is Dr. Ross Ainsworth, a veterinary surgeon with a wealth of experience and knowledge of Australia's northern cattle industry and having lived and travelled in Asia for many years, an appreciation and understanding of our markets throughout Asia. Ross Ainsworth, welcome. You're on the grill with Beef Central. Thanks, Gary. I'm very flattered to be uh, to be on the list. Well, I'm, so, fla- I'm very flattered that you accepted, Ross. So start <laughs> on a very friendly tone. Now, let's start with a we'll look at uh, live exports and the figures for last year are not good. All markets, 772,000. That's in the north. Uh, Indonesia down 12%. Vietnam down 48%. Thank you. China down 20%. Let's go to Indonesia first. What's going on there? Is it all about expensive cattle? Uh, no, no. There, there are a few things happening. Uh, they're in a very, very grim situation. So the, as well as the expensive cattle, which is uh, probably the main problem, uh, a very severe and uh, and growing secondary problem is their cost of feed. Now, the really the basis of the business model, all since the start of the trade, is extremely cheap feed based on all of the waste agricultural products, mountains of waste products in Indonesia. That could only be after they've been processed and and had the uh, the original the, the, the primary. Uh, uh, Products taken out of them, the rice, the uh, the tapioca, the sugar, etc. When all of those goodies are taken out, then cattle eat the rest. Now, a few things are happening. That technology is getting a lot better in their manufacturing systems, and so there is a lot less goodness left in the bo- in, in the in the waste products after the uh, primary products taken out. So that means there's less of what they used to be for a start. And the other thing is that's happening is that they're exporting uh, a fair bit more of the uh, of the base products, so there is less of it, and uh, it's becoming a lot more expensive. And given the technology and a few other things, it's possible that the prices will even get higher, and the the supply will get potentially lower. So when you combine that with the with the horrendous cattle price. They really are in a very serious problem. It does sound like it. I, I mean, those Indonesia is such a vast country, hundreds of islands, and you would think there'd be lots of food available there somewhere, but there's chatter now about actually importing feed grain from Australia. Yeah, that's, that surprised me, and I, I guess that, that really indicates how, how desperate the, uh, the feed shortages are. There are lots of, uh, also lots of issues with uh, importing grain, uh, once again, our, our currency is an issue and grains are up and down, uh, huge supply chains, the government agencies that get involved on the, on the way. So uh, potentially that could uh, be a resolution, but boy, if, if you ask me, it's in the too hard basket. Yes, it does sound like something that's almost insoluble. Now, getting back to when COVID hit, I assume the first thing that Indonesia did was uh, shut down the wet markets? Well, they didn't quite shut them down, but they were certainly uh, restricted a little and uh, people's movements were restricted. So as far as I'm aware, wet markets stayed open most of the time. They were just more restricted and you only went there to quickly get your product and you only went there on your own instead of having a, a social outing. Wet markets are, I, I rather like wet markets. They're, they're just nice places to go to. 
uh, especially the uh, the vegetables, the dry sections. So people just did it as quick as they could. The other thing that I should have mentioned before is that, of course, the the Indian buffalo meat is uh, still since since that came uh, uh, permitted export uh, import. Uh, that certainly has put pressure on the market, and it's just a, another factor making life difficult for the importing feedlotters. And it looks like there's you know a never-ending supply of that. Although the price has gone up quite a bit lately, um, it's not clear why. They say the price out of India is pretty is still quite low, but the price uh, being uh, uh, retailed in Indonesia is very high. And quite often the supplies are difficult to get. So just another factor. But the wet markets uh, and the supermarkets uh, largely operated uh, enough for people to get their food uh, right through the pandemic. So Indian buffalo meat, does that arrive frozen and is it sold, thawed out in wet markets? Uh, yes. For the Indian buffalo meat, because of the foot and mouth, the, the protocols are deboned. All the no- lymph nodes are out. And it's all frozen. And if you do that, then the, the risk of transmitting the foot and mouth in the frozen meat is extremely low. What's the difference it's, in price between the Aussie fresh meat and the, and the buffalo meat? Well, when it first came, uh, I think our product was about a, uh, 120,000 roots a kilo and the, the buffalo meat was about seventy to 80,000 a kilo. Uh, but uh, in, the, in the last year or so, that's uh, come up. So the last month in my report, uh, last month was uh, the buffalo was 130,000 roots a kilo, and the and the cattle fresh cattle meat was 150. So the quality of the buffalo is extremely poor. It's awful stuff. I have tried to eat it as a as as a bit of a trial, and it's a shocker. Even the fillets are awful. Given its quality and the fact that it is frozen. When you compare it, with, there's just no contest. It should be about half, in terms of its quality, it should be about half price. That'd be fair. So to be just under the uh, the price of fresh meat is outrageous. Ross, I know it's out of season, but musters and musters would hardly have started. But what is the the view up there in the north about the trade to Indonesia in particular? Are people confident or hopeful or a bit gloomy about it? They're not gloomy because the prices are spectacular. Uh, so the unless you're an exporter, of course, but if you're a producer, uh, you're looking at things are looking pretty good. The prices of the small numbers still going to Indonesia are record highs, five dollars kilo live or better. Uh, but then there is uh, at the moment there is uh, and for the last year or so there is still a uh, strong market for feeders to go into Queensland for. Uh, further fattening. So that market hasn't really been uh, so strong in the last decade or so or longer. And uh, so there is an alternative. So for, for most of the last 30 years, there wasn't much of an alternative. It was uh, live export or hold and fill bullocks. So with two, with two options and high prices in Australia and overseas, uh, the mood is... is is pretty good, but I'd I'd say they'd all be a little nervous that uh, it could turn. But uh, predicting what's what's going on in the future at the moment is probably even harder than it usually is. I think most people have acknowledged in the past, at least, that uh, live trade puts a flaw in the domestic price of cattle. 
But as these exports diminish, and especially out of the north, where do the surplus cattle go? You're saying they go west and they go, I beg your pardon, they go east and they go south? Yeah, mostly east. Um, uh, with the big rain uh, now at Alice Spring, there'll, there'll probably be a scope for them to go south, but uh, most of them go east into uh, into various uh, areas in Queensland. Uh it's all further fattening. Now they're not their ideal cattle. They're all they're all high grade Brahmins, but uh, there's still big money for them. And there's especially with the season as it is right now, there's plenty of grass over there. So it seems likely that that's going to continue through uh, through perhaps most of this year. And uh, the herd the herd is recovering, but certainly uh, not rapidly enough to sort of uh, crash the numbers. So you know it still looks pretty positive for. A, probably the, the next four months, I'd say. And I've, I've heard reported that the folks from Tipperary Station sent a big mob way across to Roma in southern Queensland and managed to have a crack of price. Could this be a growing I, practice of northern producers? Well, I expect so. Uh, it's the, the first time I, I saw it reported was uh, one of the West Australian producers did it out of Halls Creek and they sent some uh, young cattle all the way over to, to Queensland and got an astronomical price for them. And then uh, I just read it in, in Beef Central there a month or so ago that Tipperary sent their uh, out-of-spec uh, steers that were too heavy for the for the Darwin trade to uh, one of the sale yards in Queensland and, and also got an astronomical rate for them. So, you know, I, I'm sure everyone's just watching that and thinking, well, that's an option for us to do the same. Yes, they'd be Bosentic as cattle, wouldn't they? And I know you mentioned they'd be uh, mostly Brahmins, but while it's still raining up and down the East Coast, they might be options for uh, for restockers and even feedlots. Yeah, look, I, I think uh, the, the cattle supplies are so short that uh, whilst uh, they would prefer flatback cattle over in the, on the Eastern Coast, uh, if you haven't got any cattle, then, uh, then Brahmins will do. Yes, indeed. Now, let's have a look at, it, at what was an important market, Vietnam. It was booming for bigger cattle for some time. Now it's all but stopped, and it's all about Brazil and bulls. Uh, what's happening here? Can we ever get this market back? It'll, it'll be really, really tough. See, so Vietnam uh, was pretty much a immediate slaughter market. A little bit of fattening went on, but essentially they, uh, they slaughtered the animals shortly after arrival. So the... Uh, Indonesia has an opportunity to add value when they when they put them through their own feedlots and uh, really add a lot of value when when feed prices were cheap. So the Vietnamese can't do that, so they instantly lose lose money. And now that the uh, which, which is why they were so keen for an alternative when the price went up, they they were out of the market, you know, out of profitability just about straight away as soon as prices went past sort of four dollars, four dollars fifty. So. They virtually had to do something else, and uh, Brazil are very unlucky. Uh, they appeared to get a pretty good uh, deal out of Brazil. Brazil prices were down for various reasons, and then they uh, just when they shipped the, sh- the cattle were only halfway uh, across the Pacific when the um, uh, BSE uh, was identified, and then they had to go into quarantine and get additional costs, and so. There were additional uh, uh, shipments planned, but uh, I think they were cancelled. I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if if they settle down this BSE situation that uh, that that continues. But the other thing that is that is uh, of of uh, some use for us is 
that might save our our customer at the same time as not crashing our industry is the issue of the currency. Our currency has weakened a little bit, but not nearly enough to make up for the extreme uh, increase in prices. But but I think with China's uh, financial difficulties, I would uh, expect that slowly and over time, our commodity trade into China will slow down and therefore the Australian currency will weaken accordingly. So that might be a way of of getting us back into the market, whereas at the moment we're, we're pretty much out. So they, they send over, I understand, about 12000 per head on a boat, on a single boat, which is just unbelievable. A pretty big, yeah, 12000 or 14000 uh, all bulls, and uh, they will receive quite well. I've, I've recently heard reports that they find that the yield is fantastic because very low fat, of course, uh, whereas our, our animals are a lot of steers, so they're intensely a fair bit of fat. Uh, so they're very happy with low fat, but they uh, th- there were reports that they thought the meat was pretty tough, which which uh, sounds pretty reasonable if they're young bulls. So Ross, again, is it uh, sold in wet markets or in butcher shops? Or? Uh, all all in the wet market, as far as I know. Um, most of the uh, uh, shop meat is supermarkets, so. Um, I'm not aware that they're in supermarkets, but but it's pretty difficult to get information at the moment. A lot of my my reporters in in in, uh, in Vietnam have have virtually only been to uh, back into the market uh, to to visually see things uh, for a few months, as as opposed to Indonesia. They were actually closed down most of their wet markets, and a lot of food was delivered to homes during their pandemic. Let's take a quick break and we'll hear from our sponsor, our chief sponsor, in fact, Alenco Animal Health. Don't let your cattle suffer the setbacks caused by buffalo fly. Combat buffalo fly with Corral, Patriot and Silence insecticidal ear tags. Providing up to four months of long-lasting fly control. Alenco has you covered with a range of ear tags to suit your rotation program. Contact Alanco and find out how you can win the Buffalo Fly Battle now. Welcome back. We're on the grill with Ross Ainsworth. I'm, I want to get back to those 12,000 bulls on the one boat. Infamously hard to handle. They must, they must be able to calm them down somehow because they, Brazil doesn't cut their cattle, so they have all bulls in those stairs, so that's why they send bulls to Vietnam, I guess, but... Gee, that must be tough to manage on a six week or six weeks on the water. Oh no! Well, no, the the uh, cattle on the ship aren't too too. They, they don't get a chance to gallop around. Uh, they're in small pens, and uh, uh, all animals, even buffaloes, calm down quite uh, quite quickly on a ship because you're there every day, and they can't sort of go anywhere, and they just get used to you walking up and down, and, and the uh, uh, the crew feeding them and. Uh, they would be hosing out too, which which uh, over time calms them down. But uh, yeah, that the the ship environment is quite a calming environment for cattle. But uh, all of those cattle, I assume, in in Brazil would have been handled on horseback only, so they wouldn't have seen people uh, too much uh, standing alongside them. So it would have been a uh, a bit of a shock to begin with. I'm trying to picture 12,000 bulls on the one boat, that's all. That's Ships are just like a sail yard and it's small pens of, uh, you know, 10 to 15 head and, and uh, uh, you just increase that number 
it's just 10 times bigger than uh, a ship with 1,400 on it. So just a lot of crap to go over the side and a lot of feed <laughs> to be stored for such a long voyage. Ross, Vietnam and the Grey Channel, is there still stuff going on in this famous Grey Channel into China? Meat coming out of Vietnam into China or cattle on the hoof? I don't, I don't think so. I, uh, that really to, worked when, when cattle were cheap. It used to be very and big. And the price, it used to be huge. But the, the, the biggest trade was, in fact, Indian buffalo meat, which was, for a while, in, in uh, Vietnam was the largest importer of Indian buffalo meat. They got to nearly a million tonnes one year, and they hardly eat any of it. So it was they, they smuggled, literally smuggled, about a million tonnes across the board, north, their northern border. And that slowly has been wound back as uh, lots of different factors. Uh, more goes through Hong Kong, uh, but generally less is going in. I think China just doesn't doesn't like Indian meat. They probably like me. They've tried it a bit, and they find that it's uh, not that flash. So... Less of that is going in and not much through Vietnam. The majority, I think, goes through Hong Kong. What's going on up there in China and what about the constant rumbles of economic problems on a big scale in China? How do you see the Middle Kingdom and its issues at present on an economic sense, especially as they relate to Australia? Well, uh, my view is that they're in diabolical trouble uh, and that uh, their economy uh, will will slowly decline over time. We're all we've all been used to, you know, spectacular growth every year. But uh, they've finally hit the wall in terms of continued growth and uh, they're just a non a non commercial economy. So things things aren't built on productivity and, and performance. They're built on labor and, and uh, you know what what the political political Class want to happen, so it's driven by different things than economics. Especially, it's a real estate sector. There's an enormous bubble there, but for the same reason, it won't collapse like sort of a Lehman Brothers uh, situation because the, the market is controlled. But I think that the way it looks is that there'll be just a general decline and slowing down over an extended period. Perhaps something like what happened in Japan. Uh, they just got so ahead of themselves and the economy's been in the doldrums for years. So that's why I think when that happens, the, our economy will be impacted by uh, less imports of uh, commodities and our dollar will will slide pretty strongly uh, downwards and, and that will help our beef exports. 1.4 billion Chinese, they can't possibly feed themselves. Where can they get more and more protein Will they be forced to turn back to Australia for supplies? They may may well do. I'm sure they'll they'll want our beef. Uh, they want everything. They, they they are the world's biggest uh, producer of food. Uh, they're the world's biggest producer of just about everything. But they are such a massive consumer that they still don't have enough. So they have all these these vast amounts of chickens and pigs. Which is great, but they're and they're produced locally at home. But all, almost all of them are fed on soybeans and other grains that come from other countries, mostly North and South America. So that whole industry is on a knife edge, and all relying on imports from other places. Their ninety percent of their oil and gas comes from the Middle East. So they're absolutely, despite their their massive internal production. 
they are still incredibly exposed to the rest of the world for some of their most critical uh, supplies. As we speak, uh, you're in Darwin, Ross, and heading back to Asia. So far, you've managed to dodge the uh, COVID bullet? <laughs> yeah, touch wood. I've, I've been doing tests. I've had more tests than most people have uh, come across. And uh, to date, I've passed every one of them all around the world. And uh, I've just got to do uh, a couple more in Darwin before I escape. And then I've got to do one to get on the plane to go to Jakarta. And now I've got to do two in Jakarta to get out of the hotel. And then I'll be free and clear. That's good. And Ross, you've spent the, most of the last couple of years, even COVID times, up and down to every country in Asia on live export boats as a veterinarian and, and even as a stockman. Do, do you plan to resume that career? Uh, no. I, uh, I left Indonesia nearly two years ago and then I was ended up locked down in Australia. So I thought, well, I might as well be locked down in the ship and earning money than locked down at home and going nowhere. So it was uh, interesting and uh, on the vessels and uh, refreshed my memory, and now my memory is fully refreshed. <laughs> I've had enough. Got the enough. last ship I got on, the last ship I got on, uh, it got to Manila on the way home. We went to Vietnam to lo- load the cattle and to Manila to uh, have a crew change. And uh, he said, oh, the next voyage is cancelled, so we're not going back to Australia. You can either sit here in Manila Bay for the next month or so until we get another job. Manila Bay, get wow. off. <laughs> yeah. So I got off, and uh, then I couldn't come to Australia because it was still locked out. So I went to the US, and I went, I've been travelling around the Northern Hemisphere uh, until the past two weeks ago, and I got back to Brisbane. And, and going back to Bali now, that's where your headquarters for the for the next 12 months, Absolutely. I guess. Yeah. In my own house, with my own bed, my own fridge, my own food, I'm not living in someone else's place. Or I've had some wonderful hosts, but it's just nice to go back to your own house. And not living in a ship's cabin, which is about three metres square or something. Uh, yeah, well, I, I was pretty lucky. I, I was on some pretty nice ships with uh, reasonable food and, and uh, cabins, but it's still still locked in. Did you get into the karaoke with the Filipino crew? Uh, no, no. But uh, <laughs> well, you can't. It's hard to it's hard to avoid. But there there are a few things in the world I hate uh, more than karaoke, and uh, they're, they're great musicians, but I just can't cope. Especially for breakfast. Dr. Ross Ainsworth, yeah. uh, we all look forward to your next report on Beef Central. Thanks for your time on The Grill today. Thanks, Gary. Pleasure to be with you. And thank you for joining me today. Until next time, I'm Kerry Lonigan, and this is The Weekly Grill, brought to you by Beef Central and our podcast partner, Elenco Animal Health.